Our sermon this afternoon is from Pastor Steve Andrews. It is entitled, Go On Unto Perfection. Steve. Having the sermon, I can also talk a little bit about the feast. <laughs> um, it was very rewarding for our family, getting to see my son, David, and three girls. I would have, he started out with a very severe throat problem, wasn't able to sing until right at the last day, and uh, we were very thankful that he was getting over that and was able to to do that. The family to me is very important and being kind of the patriarch now of our, our family. I have none of my families on my side's left or my wife's except for her sister and, and my sister Lee. It, um, it really does come home to me that how important personal family is and also church family. And how important it is that we really do love each other and we get a chance to do that every time that we are together for the Sabbath or whenever we go to the feast and we're together for whatever we get together. We have the opportunity to come before the, the real, the true Father, the one that's in heaven, will someday be there with all of us in that same place together, which will be so grand and so wonderful. When I see our family together, it just heartens me. And I would like to, like to say something about my, my son and daughter-in-law that uh, took the teen class this year, Joe and Chelsea. I think that it went over, they, I heard that it went over very well and they did very good at the teen class this year. So I was um, very grateful that they were able to take that and do that. And uh, we're getting good. <laughs> In Branson, Missouri. So, uh, and Robbie and Sean, I wanted to, to say something about that also. Uh, one of the things that we, we find is that when we do serve, and especially the first year that you're in the congregation, you're in the church, it does make a big difference. I remember as a 20-year-old, the first feast, Big Sandy, I had parking duty. <laughs> and any of you remember Big Sandy and have been there, know what it's like to stand, especially if it's windy and hot and dry, and you're fully suited up with coat and tie, and the wind is blowing, and the sand is blowing. And by the time you get to services, you feel like you've just got all this stuff itching underneath your name. But it was so wonderful to be able to, to serve, and I had an opportunity to do that, and I was very thankful that uh, the minister, was, of course, they always needed, in, in that bigger congregation, they always needed people to serve and help, and so, but I was thankful that that I was able to do that. And I was going through a lot of emotional, mental problems and things because of some of the things that were happening in my life. 
And just being there with all that spirit and all that in there, and you, you just feel God's presence in his, in his holy days. So it's so wonderful. One of the things that we face now that we have a long haul between, it's not that long, but it just seems like it is after the feast. You've had all this, you're up high and all of this. And, and oh, no, now we've got to wait another year before the Feast of Tabernacles, and it's April before the, the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread. This year, I think that it starts in April sometime, if I remember right from looking it up. I'm not sure about that. But it just, uh, it just seems like now we, we have to just stay in there. We have to, to, to work on ourselves because we have the Sabbath every week, but there's those days in which the world presses in on us, especially if you work. You know what it's like to have to go into the world and have to live in the world and have those things. The We don't know what time we have left, do we? We have any idea. We know the world is filled with different kinds of problems from Russia, China, North Korea, uh, all of the different places in the world, all the things that are happening in the world. It just seems like, wow, could all this work out and, and Christ come back very soon? And then you, you look at it and Maybe not. It doesn't seem like anything's working prophetically. I mean, there's, I don't see any, any of the kings raising up or any of that kind of stuff. So we don't know, do we? We don't have any idea what the situation will be in the world. But we do know what God has told us to, that we have to do. We have to stay in this course until the end, whatever that is. Whether that's you're awake and you're there when when Christ returns or whether you hear the trumpet call and you are raised up out of the ground and, and, and raised to that sea of glass and are there forever with the, with the Father and the Son in the glory of their kingdom. That's what we have to do. That's what we look forward to doing. That's what we do. So every week you come to services and you're here and listen to the message. Those are the things that you put in. You inculcate. You put so that they strengthen you in the world that you live in today. We don't know what we're going to face, do we? We don't know what this year is going to be like. We have no idea what, what's going to happen throughout the rest of this year, into next year, before the next cycle of the feasts begin. We do know what the Bible says, though. And I'm going to use my ESOR today because there are a few words I'd like to, to pull out and look at, so... You'll be bear with me. I'm going to turn to the second Timothy. And the other thing that I have a little trouble with is uh, getting the right ones here, beginning in chapter 3 and beginning in verse 16. Just two verses here. It says, all scripture. So whenever we think about surviving and, and, and having to live in the world that we live in, especially with all the problems that are going on, we go in and we read the script. We read these words. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed. So all Scripture. That's all 66 books. That's not just the New Testament. That's the Old Testament. That's all of what is written for us. And it's profitable. It's profitable. So 
So if anything in the world is profitable, gold, silver, and trade all that in for the profitability of God's truth. It's profitable for doctrine. That's for teaching, for, for understanding, especially for understanding the world that we live in and the sins and the things that are going on in the world and for reproof and for correction. Have you ever opened the Bible and looked in there and all of a sudden you realize it's telling you you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing? I think it's happened to all of us, hasn't it? You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing for instruction and righteousness. That the man of God, and that word man includes all. It doesn't, it's not just man. It includes men and women. It includes all of us, men and women. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now there's... This is fitted or complete, perfect, having reference apparently to special aptitude for given, for given uses. I'm using Thayer's today in the New Testament, and I'm probably I'm going to stick with the New Testament today and not go into the Old, but there are many, many scriptures that would go along with my message today going on into perfection. Jesus left us a lofty goal. <laughs> In Matthew, the fifth chapter, we look at this. It's, if we could come to this, this point in our life and really understand this, Matthew 5, and beginning in verse 43. Oops, let's see, I've got to get 5 and 43. You have heard that it has been said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, and bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitely use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. See what Christ is pointing to? We are his family, brethren. We are his family. And Jesus is trying to help us to understand how to be a part of that family and how to have the right kind of attitude and the right kind of spirit in our life to be a part of that family. That you may be the children of, the, of your Father which is in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Uh, what reward uh, you do have you do not even the publicans the same and if you salute your brethren only what do you more than others do not even the publicans so he says be you therefore perfect even as your father which is in heaven is perfect what a lofty goal Jesus has left us whoa where is not only the statue of Christ, but we're, the, we're to, to look to the goal of the Father with the same kind of feelings for mankind that the Father has. And understanding how the Father looks on his creation and on his children, because all of mankind is children. All of mankind he loves. And he wishes that all would repent. And he looks forward to the day 
when he could bring his kingdom to this earth. And he's planning on it and putting forth that. So, we are to be perfect, that is, brought to its end or finished, wanting nothing, necessary to completeness, also perfect, that which is perfect, consummate human integrity and virtue, full-grown, adult, of full age, mature. The Father truly is way beyond that. But Christ has left us that goal to be like the Father and like the Son. And so we have that goal ahead of us. That is what we're, goal, that's what we're looking for. Paul's goal was similar. Powerful messages Paul left us in his word. Let's go to Philippians. I was going to actually read the, this whole third chapter because it's very, very good, but I, I'm going to break into it and I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to find Philippians. Genesis, third chapter, beginning, and let's begin in verse 8. Let's take it up in verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. You can read the 1 to 7 and find out what he was talking about and how he had so much, and yet he had just, there was nothing that was valuable except for the knowledge and the understanding of Jesus Christ. Whom I have suffered loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. They meant nothing to him after Christ called him. He saw the goal that was set before him. He understood what Christ had in the kingdom for him. And be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, be made, uh, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. That's what we look forward to, isn't it? We want to be there. We want to be there. We want to have the calling that will bring us up into the kingdom, no matter whether we see him come in his glory or whether we hear that call after we have been buried. It makes no difference, brethren. The kingdom of God is what we're looking for and what, we're, what we are ambassadors for is the kingdom of God. Not as though I'd already attained either or already perfect, but I follow after that if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. And that word apprehended, pretty interesting word, to lay hold of, to lay hold of so as to make one's own. Isn't that interesting? You want to lay hold of Christ and his life and live it as Christ lived it. And yet we understand in this day and age, there are so many things that, are, that come against us and make us try to push us back into the world, try to make us quit this way of life. 
to seize upon, to take possession of. in a good sense of Christ by his holy power and influence laying hold of the human mind and will in order to prompt and govern it. Isn't that what we want? We want Christ to govern us, direct us, guide us, help, lead us in our life. So, back to what Paul was writing here. Not as though, I'm going to go back to verse 12, not as though I had already attained either or already perfect, but I follow after if that I may app, uh, apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Our goal, he is already there. He's sitting on the right hand of the Father. We have that before us. That is the perfection that we desire. That's where we're going. Let's go to Hebrews, the sixth chapter. We need, we still need basic things. It's interesting the way this is written. It seems like these are, oh, these are just put away. But we understand something about what this is talking about. It's a very interesting chapter, and I'm not going to go into a lot of great detail about it. But it's, it's interesting in that it, it talks about the basic doctrines, the basic things that we learn when we first come into this way of life, and why they're there, and how, we're, how they're used. He says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection. So we're, we're looking for the kingdom. We're, we're looking into the kingdom. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, the doctrine of baptisms, laying on the hands, and the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. These are all basic things that we learn. We, we try to, to once in a, every so often, we go through these basic doctrines and um, as a, part of the elders and ministry, I hope we will do that. Myself and Barnabas and, and Matt, we will pick these up and others if you would like to pick these up and go through them. I had a, a question the other day because I had talked about anointing someone and someone was asking, anointing? Well, how does that work? And I didn't realize that maybe we hadn't explained that at all. How that we Lay hands, because that's one of the very basic ones that we're talking about here. Laying hands, but we have oil, and we anoint them with oil, and we pray for the sick. And we ask that they be healed. And we come before God in doing that. So that's part of this basic doctrine. But it's interesting how Paul goes on, and, and, and or the, the author, I think it is Paul, goes on and explains that that it would be impossible to bring back people if they really just gave everything up. He says, for it's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come 
if they shall fall away and renew them again unto the repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. I make no judgment about anyone because it is still the spirit that might be working in someone who has left this way or hasn't um, kind of left and maybe that spirit is working in them to bring them back. So we look at that and we understand that, that hopefully that God will be with those that he calls. Because he's doing a work inside of every one of us. He is doing that work. And so we will hope that those people who may have uh, fallen away from this will come and search themselves and come back. Let's see how far I was going to read with this. I was going to go to 12. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing that they crucified to themselves the Son of God for afresh, and have put them to open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain and comes down off, uh, often out upon it and brings forth herbs, meat for them, by whom it is dressed, receives blessing from God. But that which bears thorns and briars is rejected and nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and the labor of love which you have showed towards his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Whenever we serve one another, whenever we reach out and we, we try to help one another, this is servants, service to the saints and those that are in the congregation. If, if they have a need and you can reach out. It's very important because God is there with us in that. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That you be not slothful but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises which is what you and I are desirous. That we inherit the promises you know, the cares of the world can kill us spiritually. And it's interesting that I keep coming back to these seed parables because Jesus has put some very interesting things within them that help us to understand the world that we live in and even our own situation and, and maybe even could keep us from getting into to situations where we would, would fall away from this truth. In Luke, the 8th chapter, and beginning in verse, just a couple of verses here, beginning in verse 14. He says, And that which fell among thorns are they which, uh, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. We, today, it's, it's interesting how, how even in Hollywood they're finding all kinds of perversion going on. It's been going on for a long time. We live in a very, very sinful society, maybe even close to Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, I've been thinking about a, a message called Living at the Gate of Sodom. And I think that we might be because as it gets worse and worse and worse, we're going to be living in a situation 
in which we may be the only light that people will see. And it's getting dimmer and dimmer and harder and harder to reach out to those people in the world to see the truth. The world is so full of glamour. They cannot, even with sin, they cannot see what's going on. What we have to do is we have to be careful ourselves that we're not caught up in it. And we don't become choked, choked with the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. But verse 15, this is what we should be like. But they, but that on the good ground, are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. We continually are working in our life to overcome the problems that we might have so that we can bring forth fruit. And we can, and if we're strong, then we help others that are weak. If we're weak, we reach out to those that are strong so that we can be stronger. And we don't want to be like those that fall among the thorns and allow the cares of the world to take us over. I have found an interesting paper, and I'm glad I've got a little bit of time to, to go through it. I was, didn't know what, how much I would have today. But it's, <clears throat> I haven't gone through all of his stuff, but it really sounds like someone that is <laughs> part of our way. And I, I didn't look at it. But <laughs> the title of it, the end is near, and he's got a few dots-ish. And he talks about the world's problems and all the things that are going on in the world. And he's, he, he asked a, a more important question. He says, a more important question. It's a hard truth we have to face as Christians. We all want to see our Lord return within our lifetime, don't we? We all want to have our time as strangers and pilgrims cut short as the world peace is ushered in by the Son of God. But statistically speaking, that doesn't happen for Christians. Statistically speaking, we die waiting for it. Are you prepared for that? The questions that he asks are quite prevalent and quite important. Sometimes we talk about whether we're willing to die for the kingdom of God. And that's good because we, we need to determine just how important our calling is to us. But we might not consider as often whether we're willing to live for it, the kingdom of God. Are you prepared to live the duration of your life in a world whose light will only grow fainter and weaker? Are you prepared to spend years and decades, maybe half a century or more, surrounded by a society determined to mirror the moral depravity of Sodom and Gomorrah? Are you prepared to spend the duration of a long and natural life hoping for something that your eyes never see on this side of the grave? I'm not saying it's wrong to hope for Christ's return, and I'm certainly not suggesting that we stop keeping our eyes open for the signs preceding it. What I'm saying is that looking to his return within our lifetime is a certainty as just as irresponsible as ignoring the possibility of it. We don't know when it's coming, so we need to be ready for anything with that in mind. Let's look, he's going to look at three different things here. The end is not the goal. 
and it's interesting that this scripture was was brought out in the feast in Wagner, I mean in, in Branson a couple of times, uh, Matthew 25. The end of this age is just a step in God's plan and it's vital to remember that we were called to the kingdom of God. Not the return of Christ. It's not about whether we're physically alive when our Savior's feet touch the Mount of Olives. It's about whether we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Matthew 25, verse 21. Living until that moment isn't worth it. If only thing Christ has to say to us, you wicked and lazy servant. Matthew 25, verse 26. This is an unconditional way of life. We didn't make the commitment to follow God's truth until Jesus returns to the earth. We made the commitment to follow it from now into the eternity. And it was interesting that the theme in Branson, Missouri was eternity. Determined to live into eternity. It seemed like that was the theme there. Whether we've lived to see that return or we're resurrected at that moment, the goal is the same thing. It's always been eternal life as a child of God in the kingdom of peace. Remember what we're striving for. That's why we're looking to the perfection in our life. We're striving for the kingdom of God. We're looking to that. Let's turn to Romans, the 12th chapter. See if I can find Romans. There it is. Romans 12. And beginning in verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And he says, Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. That's what we do in our life on a daily basis. We put our life as a, the acceptable sacrifice before Jesus Christ and before the Father. I might read a few more verses here. It's a very good chapter. not sure how far I want to go. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according to God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one in the body in Christ, and every one members one of another. And so then he goes on about the gifts that we have. And it's good that we reach out and try and see what gifts we have. And I'm very open for that. If someone has the gift and would like to speak or serve in any way in this congregation, they are more than welcome. And I will step back and let God bless as we have in... in uh, this age that we live in, it, it's been prophesied. If we turn to Matthew, the 24th chapter, we know what this age is like. Even when we first come into this way of life and we begin to read these verses, 
we recognize the age. And it shall deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Matthew 24, verse 9. This will be 9 through 14. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. We're in a society today in which the Christians are beginning to be maligned, and ridiculed. Christianity is getting to be hated. And you can imagine uh, what we are going to be like. Oh, the people that keep Jewish things. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And it's happening, brethren. Be careful. There are very, there are lying wonders out there, and they can deceive you. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Boy, is that ever happening in this society today. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. God has a plan to get this gospel out right at the end. We see that in the book of Revelation. But he's also put that on us, and we do the best we can through whatever we're preaching here on the, the Internet and however we can reach out. We do the best we can because of what we're commissioned to do. In 2 Timothy Beginning in, verse, in chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You see that in the society that we live in today? Is that prevalent? Are you aware of what's going on? Do you read the news? Do you see what's happening? But continue you in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned. And that from, a, and of course he says then from a child because he was talking to Timothy. So realize that there are those that are out there to deceive and things are going to get worse and you're going to have to be grounded in this way of life, in this book, in this truth, in this way. And be solid in it. And of course, we all are very familiar with Galatians. We know what that's all about. But I want to read those anyway. Because it's a, the society that we live in is filled with these. The works of the flesh are manifest in verse 19 of Galatians, the fifth chapter. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Are you able to see all of those in some of the movies and things that are out and in the lives of the people that are uh, noted? Idolatry, witchcraft, it's becoming more and more prevalent. Witchcraft, we thought it would all die, didn't we? The Wiccas, Satan's worship, all of that's coming back. Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, uh, Every time I read that, I think about Tulsa and how it's becoming more and more prevalent in this, in this, this city. Hardly ever, years when I was young, hardly ever heard of anyone. And now it's like every day 
there's someone being murdered and finding bodies all over. Drunkenness, and that leads to killing people in cars. Revelings and such like, of which I tell you before, and as I have also told you in the time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Those people who are doing those things will have to repent. Well, interestingly enough, the next point that he makes is check your moral compass, not your clock. Don't be watching the clock. Check your moral compass. We've been warned in advance that as the days of Noah were, so also shall become a son of a man be. That's in Matthew, the 24, verse 37. The days of Noah, you might recall, were a time when the world was so engulfed in wickedness that God decided the best course of action was to destroy the vast majority of humanity and start over with Noah's family. That's where all the world is headed. The moral and ethical foundation of the entire planet will only continue to degrade until it can be said that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent and thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. And that's Genesis 6, chapter, verse 5. If we're not careful, it's going to be a powerful temptation to use the world as our measuring stick, to tell ourselves that as long as we're better than the wickedness around us, we're all doing okay. Pretty wise, isn't it? The problem here is that better than the world can easily mean plummeting at a slightly delayed rate. You'll still hit the ground just a minute or two later than everyone else. What we need is to always be measuring yourself against the unchanging standard of God's word. Trying to figure out how close we are to the end of the world won't help us build a godly character we need, but following the example set for us by our older brother. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, I have one more point to go through with that. I thought that the, the wisdom and the, the words that he put forth were pretty good, so I, I hope you bear with me today with what I brought. Verse 11, Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So, and it wasn't Paul, it was God that gave this. And they went out and made those, uh, you know, anointed different ones in, in different areas, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We have a, a responsibility. Those of us that have been called to preach and teach and, and, uh, and be over to, to help in the, uh, with the congregations. He says, till we all come into the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure and stature and fullness of Christ. And so you see where we're shooting for. Christ says we should be perfect as the Father. Paul says we should strive for the stature and fullness of Jesus Christ. So we have a great responsibility, and we have a tremendous goal to shoot for. And for most all of us, all of us, it takes a lifetime doesn't it? It takes a lifetime. It's not something that you do overnight. And for those who are just 
starting in this way, let me tell you that it's wonderful as you grow in grace and knowledge and understanding of this way and, and, and God directs and leads your life and shows you what's going on in the world and helps you to, to overcome some of the problems and difficulties that you might have. God will lead you into his truth, his way. And he'll strengthen you if you trust in his direction through his word. That's the important part. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure and every part makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love, so that we are all together in Christ. We're all on the same page. His third point was we have extra time. Extra time is a gift. And I think that's true because it gives us time to, hope, to, to change, to overcome, to work on ourselves, to be uh, strengthened. But never, never fail to be ready. And that's part of what Christ said. We also have to be ready at any time that he might come back and not be like the, the slothful servant. In a cautionary par parable, we read about a steward who, tired of waiting for his master's return, begins to beat male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, Luke 12, verse 45. Upon returning, the master is less than pleased with the steward's rampant abuse of privileges and is a, the steward put to death. The steward has been charged with heavy responsibility and has severely neglected it, having grown tired of waiting for his master. The parable ends with a sober warning. To whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask more. Christ hasn't, and this is Luke 12, 48. Christ hasn't returned yet. And you're reading this, so you're not dead yet. <laughs> you and I are servant, uh, stewards of the word of God. Not servants, stewards. Charged to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're charged to do. 2 Peter 3.18, if you want to write that down. Our master is taking longer to return than many of us expected. The choice we have to make now is what to do with the time we didn't expect to have. Now, I, I can tell you from experience, and some of the others of us can tell you from experience, that at one time there was a... Um, something that went out that seemed to indicate that 1972 was going to be the beginning of the end. Now, they denied it later, but it did kind of boil over inside the congregations and make us anxious and anticipating. And then when it didn't actually happen, then sometimes that was a downer for a lot of people because we weren't told the truth. So here today I'm telling you, this is what we understand. 
As we look at the prophecies, we see the times that we, we live in, we try to, to understand them. But if you have more time, you grow in grace and knowledge. He says whether the tribulation starts tomorrow or 10,000 years from now, he is coming. And on that day, he will look back on our stewardship and find us faithful or unfaithful. That's, where it, that's what it all boils down to. Will he see the life of someone who saw they had extra time and squandered it? Or who sees the opportunity to develop a deeper and more powerful relationship? When is Christ coming? When is he returning? He says, I don't know. I really haven't the foggiest idea. If I'll start standing, if I'll be standing before him in three and a half years or 100,000 years. But it doesn't matter because what I need to be focusing on, what we all need to be focusing on, is being prepared for that moment. It would be amazing to watch the Mount of Olives Cleveland too, but what I really want to see is New Jerusalem descending. And that's what we saw in the feast, wasn't it? That desire to be there in that beautiful building with Jesus Christ and the Father and all of his children together. And that what a great, wonderful reunion that will be. What a tremendous reunion of all of his children. And we'll get to meet so many new people and we'll be able to, <laughs> we'll be able to remember their names. <laughs> I, I've always felt very embarrassed. I, I don't know what there is about, about it. I've always had this problem with, I, I can remember faces. I, I know faces I, that I've seen for years. Uh, I'll know it, but I will not be able to remember their names. And I, so I, I really get embarrassed when I see somebody that I, I know that I should know, and I'm so embarrassed to go up and ask them what their name was because I should know their name. But I haven't been able to do that. I, for some reason, I've just it's been a, a, a real blank for me. But in the kingdom, with all of that glory, and I hope he gives me the ability to remember names, I think we'll be able to remember each other's names. And I think we'll be so happy to be in the kingdom and so glorious. And we'll have so much. And we'll be doing so much. And we just heard about that in the piece. So, uh, so New Jerusalem's descending from heaven like a bride, adorned for her husband. Where I want, really want to be is beside my brothers and sisters in the family of God for all eternity. That means I have to use the time that I've been given to work with God on a lot of things in the here and now. If any of you think that you've got it all figured out, <laughs> I don't think we do. I don't think we do. I think I've got one last scripture here before I finish up. So let's go to that. Let's see if that, is that the one that he quoted? I don't know if it is or not. No. Okay. Let me try and go there. And let's see. Oh, one minute. It is, but I think it's a little further down. Let's go to Luke, the 12th chapter, and beginning in verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise servant whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household? to give them a portion of meat in the due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. That's what's really important, isn't it? Of, of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he has. 
we strive for that perfection, when we strive for the word of God, when we strive for the truth that we've been given, this is what our hope is in the kingdom of God. And I don't like to read the negative part, but it's, it's important to do. But if and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming and shall begin to beat the men servants and maid servants and to eat and drink and to be drunken, the Lord that, a, that servant will come in a day when he looks not for him and an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in asunder, in sunder, and will appoint him a portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not, did not commit these things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For unto whosoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom much have been commended, much of him they will ask the more. So Christ has given us a commission. He's given us a direction. He's given us his word. He's told us many things that we need to do. If he comes in our lifetime, we will be there. But if he doesn't come in our lifetime, we still will be prepared, won't we? Because we're going to go to the grave with the understanding of this truth, of this word, and we're going to die as a believer in Jesus Christ.